This is Writers in Tech, a podcast where today's top content strategists, UX writers, and content designers share their well-kept industry secrets. Hello and welcome to Writers in Tech podcast, a podcast brought to you by the UX Writing Hub. The UX Writing Hub is an education platform for writers in tech, and where we have the UX Writing Academy, which is a program that helps people to get into the field of UX writing. And my name is Yuval. I'm the founder of the UX Writing Hub and host of the Writers in Tech podcast. And today I have a special guest. Her name is Zara Fishkin. And Zara Fishkin is a UX writer and product experience creator at Teladoc. And I'm very happy to have her here. Uh, hello, Zara. How are you? Hello. Thank you for having me. Great to be speaking with you. Thank you so much for uh, taking the time and being on our episode. Um, so... My first question is, I would love to listen and hear and ask about your uh, background. I know that you worked in the past companies like uh, Facebook and uh, healthcare companies. So I would love to hear more about that. Yeah, absolutely. So right now I'm a UX writer at Teladoc. Before that, I was a content designer at Facebook for about four years. Before that, I was at Athena Health also as a UX writer. So I've had a few different uh title over over the over the past few years um, but I, and I started uh, in copywriting so when I was in college um, I studied English and communications and I it was my dream to be Peggy Olson from Mad Men as a copywriter <laughs> for advertisements um, so I did a lot of internships in that uh, but wound up in-house at a, a company called Athena Health and that's when I made the transition over to UX writing. Amazing. And uh, so it feels like um, a lot of your experience as a UX writer was in the healthcare um, kind of a niche, I'd say. So uh, I would love to hear, Facebook is not a healthcare company. So what are the differences between working in a healthcare company like Athena Health or Teladoc and uh, working at a company like Facebook as a content designer? There are a lot of differences, but I think the things that are similar are um, is what helped me in when I made the transition. So starting out writing for health, you have to be very mindful of the people who are reading the, what you're writing and you know what kind of situation they're in. Is it a patient who has just gotten some bad news from their doctor? Is it a doctor who's in a really intense situation with a patient and needs to be able to get through a workflow really quickly? Um, and those are the kinds of things that I think don't always aren't always front of mind those kinds of stress cases when you're designing for a like lower pressure consumer platform but when you're writing for a platform that has as many people using it and has as much pressure on it as a consumer platform like Facebook I think those skills and that kind of focus is is also important um, and yeah I did end up doing very different things at Facebook than working in health I was working on ads I was working on, Um, internationalization. I was working on location, but I also did have a little bit of um, opportunity to work on health-related things like like blood donations. So you never really know um, what you're going to end up working on when you're at such a large company like that. But having that basis and making sure that you're taking into account the stress cases can always be helpful no matter where you're working. Wow, amazing. <laughs> when you were saying that you worked in internalization, it's like 
making the products of Facebook localized to different markets. Exactly, exactly. That was a, that was a really exciting team and, and not a team I really realized I would have the opportunity to work with. Like I had been doing some internationalization work on some of the other Facebook products, like making sure that our ads platforms can work for small businesses all around the world um, for blood donations, making sure like our, pri- our primary uh, audience at the time was, was people in India, but focusing on internationalization and the team that helps all the other teams at Facebook make sure that it is appropriate and usable and accessible to people, no matter what country they're in, no matter what language they're using. That was, that was really exciting to kind of get a a closer look into that world and the kind of processes that go into making that happen as seamlessly as possible. Amazing. And when you work uh, with, um, let's say a team of translators and stuff like that. So it's really important to, have some guidelines and context and stuff like that. So uh, do you have some kind of a process that you can share uh, that help you to give context to people that localize a platform or to teams that are working on localization? Yeah, absolutely. And what you said right there, I think is one of the most important parts is making sure that you're giving your translators context into what they're translating. So that can come from a few different places. It can come from style guides that you're sharing with translators. That way they know the kind of voice and tone that you're trying to achieve. And obviously that can be different culturally, but just letting them know where you're starting from, um, letting them know the problem that you're trying to solve. Like this is the business problem. This is the user problem. This is what a person might be going through when they encounter um, this workflow that they're going through. Um, And images, videos, those are probably some of the most helpful things that you can give a translator. So that way they know how much space they have when they're translating um, and how different words relate to other words. So anytime you can give a visual mocks or screenshots of what's already implemented, um, that can go a long way to making sure that translators have the context they need to make a really high quality translation. Like there can be, we've gotten feedback and companies get feedback a lot that, you know, this translation makes no sense. And it's almost never the translator's fault. They're very highly skilled people, but making sure that they know what they're translating and where it's going can go a long way to that high quality translation. Amazing. And after working at Facebook on those projects, you uh, were doing a transition that was long, not that long time ago to Teladoc. So what are the challenges that you're currently facing as a UX writer at Teladoc and what exactly is Teladoc? So Teladoc is a uh, is a platform through which doctors, um, other kinds of medical providers can uh, conduct telemedicine uh, visits with patients. So what's really great about this, especially in the pandemic, is that it doesn't matter where you are. It doesn't matter where the doctor is. Um, you can schedule a uh, often same day appointment with a provider to make sure that you can get the medical attention that you need when you need it. Um, so making sure that people have access to that through their computers, through a telephone um, is a pretty exciting way to make uh, healthcare more, more accessible to people. Amazing. And what are the challenges that you have right now at uh, Teladoc as a UX writer? What kind of products uh, are you currently working on? How many writers are there in in the team or how many designers are there in the product team? Yeah, this is an exciting time at Teladoc for me, especially. So I originally joined a company called Livongo. And when I joined, we were in the process of getting acquired by Teladoc. So Livongo is a company that uh, specializes in chronic care um, for chronic conditions like um, like diabetes, like hypertension, like weight management. And so um, in merging with Teladoc, um, we're kind of 
combining our superpowers uh, to make <laughs> to make sure that people have um, more continuity of care um, over over those treatments of different kinds of conditions, long term and short term. Um, and so, tele- Livongo has had a fairly robust uh, content team with content strategists, with UX writers, with with content producers. And so um, now that we're merged with Teladoc, this is kind of a whole new realm of products that we can start to dig into and see where the content strategy opportunities there. Um, And so that's where we're starting to embark and seeing um, where can we take what we've learned in UX writing and content strategy for Livongo and apply it to Teladoc? What can we also learn to, from Teladoc? Um, it's, this is also a place where my background in internationalization is helpful because Teladoc has been translated into many languages. Livongo is kind of in the process of, of branching out. So um, making sure that we have unified processes to making sure that, that we can do that um, efficiently and, and well. Uh, that's what I think we're, we're in, going through a lot of change right now. And so anytime there's change, there's a lot of opportunity too. That's amazing. And uh, how does it, a, a day in your life, I guess that every week is like completely different than the one <laughs> you had so before. Then. <laughs> But yeah. um, let's say that you need to set up a process and uh, at the end of the day, we want to improve the copy of the products of Teladoc. Uh, and everything is new and exciting. But We, what would be uh, your process to do something like that? Yeah, Sounds so like right, right now there's, there's a lot of, that we can do on kind of a systems level. So um, thinking about uh, our design systems. So the designers on the Livongo side have been putting a lot of thought and effort into our design system. Um, and I think it comes at a great time when we're looking into, okay, how does this design system work with Teladoc's design system? And so um, when we think about design system, I think we think a lot about colors and iconography and all those things are and fonts and all those things are so important but we also have to make sure we're thinking about how the UX writing plugs into that so how are we representing error messages how do we show what's required versus not required in a form um, and then even things outside of the design system itself um, so things like terminology how do we make sure that we're referring to a provider slash doctor slash nurse a healthcare practitioner in the same way uniformly so that way um, when a user or a member a patient is looking also a piece of terminology that we have to reconcile but when a person using our product is looking at the product we want to make sure that we're not using 50 different ways to refer to the same thing it The results in a lot of mental strain so the more consistently we can talk about the things in our product the easier our products are to use and also subsequently the easier they are to translate um, I feel like I always bring it back there um, but so those are some of the questions I'm trying to work through right now um, and as I'm doing it I'm trying to do it in a somewhat systematic way there's always you know last minute asks that come up but um, I think Think about okay this is the problem we're trying to solve this is the question we're trying to answer um, come up with a proposal based on best practices based on some competitive research how would that apply and what would it look like um, in our product come up with a proposal and um, make sure that you talk to all of the relevant stakeholders to get feedback before implementing it in in the design system or in our processes amazing um, you were mentioning a little bit about uh, doing some research as a UX writer and uh, that process is something that I find like extremely different between different writers and do you have any tips uh, to do um, competitive analysis for example or uh, um, user interviews I guess you're not saying user interviews but people's interviews <laughs> uh, do you have some best practices for that? 
Yeah, in terms of doing competitive research, especially as I was, you know, working on the design system and style guide, um, there are a lot of companies who actually have public versions of their style guides, and that is so incredibly helpful for doing research like that because you know that these companies have have done the work, they've done the research, um, they have, and especially if they have a lot of um, internal resources resources for um, for in, with their research team and you know talking to people, so. Uh, looking at those externally facing style guides and design systems is, is super helpful. And some of them are more design focused than content focused, but from, from what I've seen, there are some, some really helpful ones. Um, and then in terms of just research in general, there are so many opportunities to do that, whether you have a full-time researcher for full-time data scientist or not, but if you do have those people um, become friends with them, they are the most helpful, the most knowledgeable um, in terms of the qualitative research with a, with our UX researcher. Um, there's lots of different things that they can do and, you know, asking them the kinds of things that they're familiar with researching is helpful, but in informative research, it's great for learning more about your users and what motivates them, what their concerns are um, in evaluative research. It's one of my favorite things to do is watching people use the products and, you know, see how they interpret what I've written because you know, the way that I'm thinking about it is not always how they're thinking about it or how they interpret it. So making sure that you're paying attention in those interviews is incredibly helpful. Um, and then in terms of quantitative with your data scientists, seeing, you know, if you can run A-B tests, if you have different, you know, conflicting hypotheses, that's really helpful. Um, if you have a, a flow, like if there's funnel logging in there, seeing, you know, at what point people are dropping off and if maybe there are ways that things that you can write or things that you can clarify that would, um help inform the user and make them more likely to continue. Um, lots of different ways that you can start to research what you've written. Wow, that's amazing. Um, wow, fantastic. And uh, I wanted to ask also about, um, um, so you were talking about uh, uh, research and how um, you you are friends with the uh making friends with the UX researcher and the data scientist. But let's say that we have um, listeners that's uh, working in smaller companies or maybe doing some freelance work. So they have to do the, you know, the research by themselves, like the competitor analysis. They have to find different design patterns and see like how others are doing it. They need to like maybe send a ping to one of the people that is using the product and then understand how they use it. So, what would be the research tips for uh, writers that don't have like uh, a team or a data scientist next to them? Yeah. And I have been in the position where I do have to conduct my own research. And <laughs> I have to say that one of my least favorite parts about it is having to listen to my own voice in the recording. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, which is a hilarious thing to say on a podcast, uh, <laughs> but it's also, it's really exciting. Um, and I, but one of the things about that's challenging at doing your own research is maintaining, um, impartiality and not introducing bias into the research that you're doing. So it can be helpful to have someone else read your research plan, read the questions you're asking, making sure that you're not trying to angle for a certain hypothesis that you have. Um, having Writing questions in a way that, whether it's for a survey or for a user interview, that are as open-ended um, as possible can be a good way to make sure that what people are telling you is not just what you want to hear because people talking to you, they want to tell you what they what you want to hear. It's just a thing that we do as humans, like you want people to like you. So making sure that when they respond to your questions, you don't say, great, that's awesome. Like, 
fantastic. So happy to hear that more like, thank you for letting me know that. Can you tell me more about it? Um, kind of putting on your psychologist hat, like, how do you feel about that? <laughs> Not did you like it, but to what extent did this solve your problem? Um, and there, there are some, some good resources online on how to, how to write, um, in a way that is more open-ended, uh, I can't remember the book I was reading off the top of my head. I, I can try to do some research, maybe if we can put it in show notes or something. Yeah, I would love that. <laughs> maybe but, not enough research or... Sorry? Oh, maybe. Oh, that uh, could have been it. It was a while ago that I read this book. I'll have to dig through my records. Um, but in any case, uh, trying to, to write questions in a way that, that isn't leading, I think is one of the most important things for when you're putting together a sur survey or, um, or talking to someone one-on-one. -on -one. That's amazing. And um, yeah, I had to do my own, uh, we had to do in our team our own research. We did salary survey for writers in tech and we're about to publish it really soon. Listeners know that. But um, I found myself digging into the numbers and the data and creating like different data points and assumptions. And to be honest, this is a fascinating thing, you know, to dig into data. If you have the chance to do it, you don't know how wonderful it could be, how much the numbers could tell you stories. And um, I find it fascinating. So, so if true. you had a chance to do something uh, like that, if it's by yourself or if it's with a researcher on your team, so definitely do that. It will help you to be better writers eventually. Absolutely. Um, amazing. So... Um, I have a question for you about, uh, and we're about to finish soon, and I have a question uh, for you about books. So um, what do you feel like was the book that influenced the most uh, on your career or um, not influenced? Sorry, let me uh, rephrase it. So what's your favorite career book lately? Okay, so I see here a book. I'm holding up a book to the camera, Forms That Work by Caroline Jarrett and Jerry Gaffney. Um, I can't say enough good things about this. This is probably what I read first when I was just starting to learn about uh, UX writing, um, especially in healthcare. So many of the things that you're designing are forms. That's like the primary input. Um, so learning about best practices and what works and what doesn't was incredibly helpful and definitely one of my, one of my favorite books that I've read. That's amazing. I never heard about this book and I would love to read it now. Forms that work. And uh, let's say that, and it's on your bookshelf, so I, I'm, uh, I'm uh, sure in 100% that uh, you use it a lot. So what is your uh, biggest takeaway from this uh, book? I think one of the biggest things is, you know, how do we anticipate questions that people may ask? Um, so I think a lot of times it's, you know, we know what information we want to get from people, but I think to put ourselves in the mindset of someone filling out a form, um, thinking about whether it's secure, thinking about why do you need this information, thinking about um, where would I even get this information? Like if we ask for your, like this number, we have to tell you, well, it's on your insurance card. You get your insurance card from here. Um, just trying to anticipate as many questions as you can that a person may encounter um, while they're filling out the form can be, can be super helpful. And at the same time, also thinking about how do we make this accessible as possible? If a person is using a screen reader, if a person is, is low vision, um, 
how do we make sure that, or even if, if it's being translated, uh, that, you know, all the, the button contact doesn't, you know, get cut off, it has to wrap. Um, but making sure that anyone who's using the form, it makes it as easy to use as possible and as accessible as possible. Amazing. Thank you for that tip. Uh, it's the first time I'm uh, hearing about this book. And I'm I couldn't be happier that I asked this question. <laughs> Thanks. Uh, all right. So um, that's about it for today, Zara. Um, we started a new thing lately where we uh, chat with the, the guests of the podcast and ask them um, what they, will, they think, how they think we should name this episode, what will be the title of this episode. Um in a way that first of all people would like to listen to it because that's what we want to have like listeners people that will get into the podcast and listen because um like 70 percent of what impact if like people if to listen to it or not it's like the title anyway and um, can you a b test it <laughs> um, oh that's a great uh, answer uh for you excited but no, we, we can't we can't A B test it because Darn. we don't we don't have enough data because we don't have enough listeners to or at least we don't have the analytics of how many people saw the link and didn't press mm. because it's uh, spread on many different uh, platforms for podcasts like Spotify, Anchor, and so on. <coughs> anyway, so uh, it needs not only to make people click, but we also wanted to align with the content with, that we just talked about. And I feel like we talked a lot about research. We covered research today, which was great. Also localization. And I also loved your last comment about writing forms in an accessible way. So what do you think? Oh, gosh. Uh, naming has never been my strong suit. I really enjoy getting together a brainstorm of people to, to do my work for me when I'm uh, naming a feature or product. Um, <laughs> uh, I guess one. Of, I guess the overall theme, it sounds like, is kind of considering your audience uh, would maybe uh, so audience considerations. <laughs> I don't know if that's... Uh, hmm. Grab it. Let's think about it. So <laughs> thinking about the people that are using your uh, product. Yeah. Mm. Um, we also talked a lot about uh, healthcare and, uh, and your work at Teladoc and uh, those challenges. Yeah. Uh, Writing healthy products. Health. Yeah. Uh, oh, that's good. I love that. Improving product health. Through UX rating. Ooh, that's a good one. Oh, I love it. Okay, improving improving products health for UX writing or writing healthy products. All right, I think we could spin spin something around that. That's yeah, for sure. yeah. I, I trust you on this. Oh, uh, uh, Zara, you know, you knew that it would be a good name. Come on, like I know every creative process starts with like some lack of confidence, but but by the end of it. It's just the right. It's just click, and I feel like we had a click here. <laughs> Me too. It was Ooh. a pleasure to talk to you. All right. So thank you so much, and thank you everyone for being today at the uh, Writers in Tech podcast, a podcast that brought you by the UX Wedding Hub. Uh, I was Yuval, the founder of the UX Wedding Hub, and Zara, 
It was a pleasure to have you. Have a great day. And looking forward to our next talk. Bye.